Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forests bare, and in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. This is the word of the Lord. Well, why don't we pray before we have a look at Psalm 29. Okay. Father, we want to thank you for this uh, uh, part of your word today. And uh, we pray that as we look at Psalm 29, that you would help us to, um, to really get our minds into the passage, uh, free us from distractions around us and help us to focus on, uh, on who you are and what you are like and how we ought rightly to respond to you. Father, we thank you that we don't do this on our own strength, but rather that it, uh, you grant us strength through your spirit to understand your word and to apply it to our lives. And so we ask for that and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, it has been a horrendous start to 2011 in Australia. It was uh, on New Year's Day that Andrew Fraser, who is the... Uh, treasurer of Queensland uh, made the statement that uh, his state was facing a, a flood of biblical proportions. And when he made that statement, uh, the city of, uh, of uh, uh, Rockhampton was uh, bracing itself uh, as they knew that their river was about to peak. Uh, by that stage, uh, an area in Queensland which was the size of France and Germany combined was already underwater. But um, the treasurer did not really know what was about to be unleashed when he made that statement. On January the 10th, after 160 mils of rain in only 36 hours, uh, the city of Toowoomba was hit by... Well, we all saw it, didn't we? Uh, this uh, devastating wall of water that surged through the city, uh, just taking out everything in its path. And, of course, that was not the end of it. Uh, it then came the, the, tur the turn of other towns in Queensland, towns which we all know about, towns like Grantham and Gatton, and, of course, the very capital city itself of Brisbane, uh, went underwater. And it's not just Queensland. Uh, I, look, I, I'm, I studied geography when I was at school and when I was at uni, but I can't remember uh, what alert. 
and we need to depend on the meteorologists to tell us. Uh, but we've all heard a little bit about geography over these last few weeks, haven't we? We've heard about the, uh, what is it, the La Nina effect, uh, which is the opposite to the El, El Nino. Uh, we've heard about La Nina and we've heard about low pressure systems. We've heard about monsoonal rains that were coming down from the northwest. We've heard about the cyclones in the northeast. And it's all happened at once, all at the same time. And as a result, there's been major flooding in, uh, what is it, in Queensland, in uh, northern New South Wales, in Tasmania, uh, in South Australia. And this past week, parts of Victoria have been drowning. Uh, it's been awesome. It's been incredible. It's been, you know, lives have been lost uh, in these floods. And as a nation, we have been shocked. We have been even grieved by what we've seen. Now, how do we respond to this? Well, we've seen some of the response already. Uh, the first thing that happened, of course, is that the Aussie spirit kicks in. Uh, that Aussie spirit of communities kind of just bonding together. Uh, that Aussie spirit of strangers just helping out strangers uh, for no other reason than just that's the thing which we do. Uh, we've seen the Aussie spirit kick in. Um, and we, we see now another aspect of the Aussie culture, and that is that we now put people under the spotlight. So governments are now under the spotlight. Insurance companies are now under the spotlight. But have you heard much about God in it all? Has there been much serious discussion about the Lord who is the one who is behind the, the storms and the flood? Well, the, the Prime Minister has thanked what she called faith communities. Uh, you'll notice that uh, they don't say as often now that our prayers are with people, it's our thoughts are with people. There was uh, that church leader, I don't know if you saw this one or not, but um, the church leader who claimed that God had spoken to him and God had told him that the floods in, in Australia, in Queensland in particular, were God's punishment for a statement that Kevin Rudd had made. Uh, when Kevin Rudd made a statement against uh, Israel having nuclear arms... Uh, it was the same so-called church leader who this time last year claimed that God had spoken to him and told him that the Victorian bushfires were uh, because of God's judgment on the Victorian government for a policy that they had uh, implemented. We've heard that sort of stuff, but we haven't heard much serious comment about the God who controls the weather. And actually, it doesn't surprise us that we don't hear that sort of comment, does it? Because we live in a very highly secular uh, society that uh, has uh, turned away from God. Aussies don't talk much about the Lord of creation. But we're going to talk about the Lord of creation uh, because Psalm 29 talks about the Lord of creation so I wonder if, you could, if I can ask you to open up your Bibles at Psalm 29 for the next 20 minutes or so. Uh, it's one of my favourite psalms in some respects uh, because it's a very descriptive psalm. It's a psalm which is all about a storm which swept across uh, Israel 
and the surrounding area. But when you read it, it doesn't read like a narrative. It's not like a newspaper report on this storm uh, because it's a psalm. And psalms are poetry. They're poetic. Uh, a, a psalm is a song. Uh, it's meant to be sung. And we see here that this particular psalm is a psalm of David. It was written by David. We see that at, right at the very beginning of the psalm. And that's not unusual, is it, uh, that a psalm should be written by David? Uh, there are, in the book of Psalms, which we call the Psalter, there are 150 psalms, and 73 of them are written by David. That's almost half of the Psalter is written by David. David was a very gifted man. Uh, he was not only a gifted warrior, but uh, he was a gifted poet, uh, a, and a gifted musician. Uh, one of the uh, in the early uh, one of the one of the early instances that we see in the Bible of David is when he was called as a young man to the the royal court of Saul uh, to play music for Saul uh, to soothe the man down. So David was a uh, was a gifted uh, songwriter, and he was a gifted musician. Uh, in his own day, he wasn't only known as a great warrior. Uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 23, David is referred to as Israel's sweet singer of songs. Uh, he was a sweet singer of songs. That's what he was known at. Uh, it's one of the uh, great features of the Bible. Uh, one of the great features of the Bible is singing. Uh, as I say, the Psalms are meant to be sung. And it's one of the great features of living the Christian life that uh, we are people who sing, aren't we? Uh, how many other groups of people uh, in our town gather together each week uh, and sing together? There's not many. Choral societies, perhaps. Uh, and that's their main reason for meeting. But we, uh, as Christians, we meet together and the natural thing which we want to do is we want to sing. And a good reason for that is because we've got something which is really, really worth singing about. Uh, we've got a person who is really worth singing about. Uh, we sing about God. And Psalm 29 is a song. But it's not just a song about the storm. It's a song about the right response to the storm. And uh, we, So let's have a look at the psalm. Uh, in verses 3 through to 9, there is a description of this great storm. Just scan your eyes down those verses. Uh, we see that it keeps on telling us about the voice of the Lord. Do you see that? Verse 3, the voice of the Lord. Verse 4, the voice of the Lord. Verse 5, the voice of the Lord. Verse 7, the voice of the Lord. Verse 8, the voice of the Lord. Verse 9, the voice of the Lord. It's about the voice of the Lord. And it's a very dramatic psalm because it tells us what the voice of the Lord does. In verse 3, uh, God thunders over the mighty waters. So thunder is seen as being an expression of the voice of the Lord. 
his voice, we're told, breaks the huge cedars of Lebanon. Uh, he makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. Uh, that's very poetic language. Uh, someone suggested perhaps that's representing some kind of an earthquake that's, uh, that's happening. Uh, God's voice, we're told, strikes with flashes of lightning and it, it shakes the desert. It twists the oaks. Now, when you read that, what do you, what's the impression that you get? Uh, it, it tells us that the voice of God is simply awesome because God only has to speak and things happen. Right? That's a sign of great authority, isn't it? The person who can just say the word and the job is done is the person who has authority. How does God, how do we see God's authority? How did God create the, uh, the world in Genesis 1? He spoke, didn't he? He only had to, sp to speak, he only had to say the word and the whole of the universe comes into existence in the fullness. God only had to speak. God's word is powerful and that is because God is powerful. It's because he has authority. I mean, think about Jesus. How, how, does, how did Jesus heal the sick? How did Jesus drive out demons? How did Jesus calm the storm? What did he do when he wanted to calm the storm? He, he spoke. He only had to speak and the wind and the waves died down. That's authority, isn't it? That is incredible authority. In Psalm 29, God's voice is the demonstration of his power. As, as the storm uh, rips through the land, stripping the forests bare, shaking the desert, uh, it says, as, as I mentioned, that this, the storm makes Lebanon and Syrian skip like young animals and break, uh, it, it breaks huge cedar trees. Um, just a geography lesson here, a Syrian, uh, that is part of what we would call modern-day Syria. So that's uh, on the coast, um, the same coastline that Israel shares. Uh, I've got a mate of mine who uh, uh, comes from Lebanon and uh, spends a lot of his time in Lebanon, and he says to me, Scott, you know, you hear about Lebanon on, in the news and it's always, you know, Hezbollah and Israel sending missiles across and it's death and destruction. He says, mate, it is a beautiful country. It is absolutely glorious because of the wonderful mountains uh, in Lebanon. His family goes to the mountains of Lebanon every summer just to get the cool of those, that beautiful mountain. We're talking about mountainous territory here. And so what it's saying is that there are two great symbols of strength Firstly, the huge uh, hardwood cedars of Lebanon and secondly, the mountains of Lebanon and, uh, and, 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 and Syrian. And those two symbols of strength are absolutely nothing uh, in comparison to the awesome power of God. So he's picked the symbols of strength of his day. Uh, God's power can snap those cedars and cause those mountains to skip.
Now, what then is the right response to the power of God? Well, first of all, take a look at verses 1 and 2. The psalm starts by saying, Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Now, who is that addressed to? It's addressed to, in verse 1, the, what does it say? The mighty ones. Uh, you can't see it as clearly in the English, but in the Hebrew, uh, that is a reference to the heavenly beings, uh, the angels. So uh, David is, uh, the psalm is instructing the, the angels to uh, do these things, to respond to God's power. Uh, and you can understand that um, the how the angels would actually understand what was going on. I mean, we get a pretty good view of storms now through satellite imaging and so on, but angels could see the whole thing. How should they respond? Two things. Firstly, they are to ascribe greatness to God. And secondly, they are to worship the Lord. Ascribe greatness to the Lord and worship the Lord. And if that is how the angels should respond, then I take it that's kind of how you and I should respond as well. So what does it mean to ascribe greatness to the Lord? I guess that for many people, um, when they see storms like what we've had recently in Australia, uh, if they do think about it terribly much, they might think of it as being some sort of uh, just a chaotic outbreak of, of natural forces. Um, the scientists can put it a little bit more articulately than that. Um, Pete Charles used to be a geography teacher. Last week he tried explaining to me what was actually going on and it sort of went in one ear out the other. It made sense at the time. Uh, but um, David knew that the power at work can only come from one place and that is from the hand of God. And so that is what it means to ascribe the glory and the strength to the Lord. It is to simply say that this comes from the Lord, that it is not a meaningless, chaotic outbreak of natural forces, that it is the Lord who is behind this because the Lord has authority over all of nature. So they are to ascribe glory and strength to the Lord and therefore in verse 2, they should worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Now, what, is it there for, what does it mean to worship the Lord? Um, go down to verse 9 for a moment. Uh, in verse 9, David shifts the focus, and it's, the focus is now on human beings and our response. And David tells us that in God's temple, all cry glory. You see that? It's not just the angels, it's also man's response to the storm. Now, let's think about that verse 9 for a moment. Uh, in the Old Testament, the temple was the place where people went to in order to uh, make sacrifices to the Lord through the priests and to worship him. 
And so there's actually a problem in this verse. I wonder if you can nut out what the problem is, that David should be saying that all in God's temple cry glory. What would be the problem with that, do you think? Any ideas? Have a think about it. Yep, Lachlan. Perhaps it should just be all. All cry glory and not the temple bit. Is that what you're saying? No? Okay. That's a good thought. Well, look, if you're struggling with this, don't worry. There was a... There was an ordained minister in the first congregation. He wasn't sure about it either. Um, Friends, when was the temple built? Who built the temple? Solomon before David or after David? After David. Solomon was David's son. So how can... David be saying that all in God's temple cry glory when the temple hasn't been built yet. See the problem? What's that? There was a temple, but it wasn't Solomon's temple. Yeah, close, Laura, close. See, some scholars, they've looked at that and have said, aha, uh, David therefore did not write the psalm, that it's been written by someone later on and they've just sort of put David's name to it um, other scholars have said, well, he wrote the psalm, but someone's adjusted it later on, you know, after the temple was built. But I think Laura's getting close to it, that uh, the, before the temple was built, where did the people go to meet God and to offer sacrifices? They went to the, to the tent of meeting, sometimes called the, uh, the tabernacle. Uh, you remember when Hannah, uh, with uh, her husband Elkanah, uh, went to the the temple in um, uh, when was it in one Samuel chapter one? Sorry, they didn't go. Where did they go to? They went to Shiloh to the tent of meeting uh, where they met up with the uh, priest Eli. But uh, in that verse, it actually refers to the tent of meeting or the tabernacle as being the temple. So temple language was used prior to Solomon at building the actual temple. And I think that's the solution to the problem. Uh, I don't think that we need to, uh, in any sense, think that this uh, psalm has been adjusted uh, or um, David's name has been put to something which he didn't write. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 7 through to 9. Um, now, so... But, but worship is much more than what goes on in the temple, isn't it? Uh, to worship means to, uh, to ascribe greatness to God and then to reflect back to God uh, his worth. Uh, worship comes from the old English term worth-ship. It is to give God his worth. And that's actually an all-of-life experience, isn't it? Uh, it's it's as we as we love him, as we trust him, as we tell others of him, and importantly, as we obey him in every aspect of our life, that we are worshiping the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Now it makes sense, therefore, doesn't it, that if we ascribe greatness to God, uh, 
Uh, if we're saying that God is the one who is the Lord of all creation, that God is the one who is behind the storm, then we should live with him as God. Uh, there is no point in saying that God is behind the storm and then live your life as if God doesn't even exist, which is what so many people do. Makes you wonder about the insurance companies, doesn't it? What do they... They talk about acts of God. Uh, and then, for profit's sake, they want to quibble about what actually is a flood. They haven't made up their minds on that yet. Actually... Uh, in the nine o'clock service, our treasurer, who is a retired insurance executive, uh, spoke to me and said, actually, Scott, we don't use the term act of God anymore. Uh, he thought he was changing my point around, but he's improved it because it just says now that they no longer even ascribe that to God, <laughs> let alone worship him. But friends, God's power is not only seen in the destruction of the uh, flood and the storm, it's also seen in salvation. Now have a look at verses 10 and 11. Verse 10, enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. So notice here that in verse 10 it turns from a, a storm in terms of the wind and so on to an actual flood. Uh, what is the great example in the Bible when God unleashed natural forces to cause destruction? It was the, the flood of Noah. And uh, I think that that's what verse 10 is talking about. The, the Hebrew word, which is translated there as flood, is only ever used in one other part of the Bible, in Genesis 6 to 11. And it is only ever used in reference to the flood of Noah. And so it seems that the reference here is to the flood. The flood of Noah was God's way of judging. But it was also God's way of saving, wasn't it? Because just as he was capable of bringing the flood that brought death, he was also capable of stopping the flood and saving the one family that was living in obedience to God, Noah and his family. And just as God was enthroned over the flood in Noah's day, so too he is the God who was enthroned over the storm in Psalm 29, and so too is he the one who is enthroned over our world today. Uh, it means that we can be confident that God will act in our world, not only in destruction, but also in salvation. You see, verse 11 finishes with a promise. And I really want us to focus on this promise now because uh, this is where the rubber hits the road for us. What is the promise in verse 11? It is the promise that God gives strength to his people and God blesses his people with peace. Now imagine that. The power that we see at work in the storm, and just think of the storms in Queensland and all over our little continent. We are the smallest continent. Think about the storms that have covered our continent in the last few weeks and the last few months. Imagine the, and think about the power behind those storms 
and consider that that is only a small amount of the power of God and consider that it is that same power that God uses to strengthen his people and to grant us peace. How does he do that? Well, we see God's power in many ways, but the Bible teaches us that God's power is shown in its finest form in the gospel of Jesus Christ. How can we be sure of God's power in our lives? Will you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1 for a moment? On page uh, 827. Here we learn of Paul's prayer for the Christians in Ephesus. In verse 18, in verse 18 he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and get this, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. You want to see God's power in action? Well, look to Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus is the great demonstration of the power of God. Why? What do we see in the resurrection? We see God's power over nature. We see God's victory over his enemies. The Jesus, that, that Jesus was raised from the dead shows us that death has now been defeated. And eternal life is available to all who turn to God by trusting in Christ. But there's more than that. If we have trusted in Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, then God's power is also at work in our lives, transforming us. Uh, in Colossians chapter 1, verses uh, 10 to 14, uh, Paul prayed that the Colossians would be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might so that they would endure patiently, joyfully and thankfully as Christians until they receive their inheritance in heaven. How much power does it take to take a sinful person who is dead in their sins and living in darkness and to bring that person into a relationship with God through trusting in Jesus? How much power does that take? Well, I've got to tell you, it takes the kind of power that it takes to raise the dead. It takes all power. It takes God's power. And how much power does it take to take a person such as that to change their hearts and their lives so that they will then be given over to loving and serving God with all of their heart, mind and soul? 
Well, I've got to tell you how much power it takes. All power. God's power. It's the power that we see at work in our world in creation. It's the power that we see at work in our world uh, through nature. It is God's power, that same power that is at work in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and in transforming our lives so that we grow as Christians by that same power, becoming more patient, more loving, more considerate, more like Christ. Have you seen that in your own life? Do you see that in the lives of other Christians around you? When you see that, that is God's power in its fullest. Psalm 29 says that God's power strengthens us and gives us peace. He does it through Jesus. Uh, last Sunday, there was a church service in one of the towns in the Lockyer Valley. I don't remember which town it was. I think it was probably Grantham. I think it was outdoors as well. I suspect the church had been flooded. But buildings don't matter. People matter. Uh, the young woman who led in prayer prayed to God and this is what she said. She said, Lord, forgive us when we are angry with you. What do you make of that prayer? It, it seemed to me that that was a prayer which expressed um, understandable confusion and emotion which was very raw, very raw. And indeed, I think one of the most unhelpful things that Christians can do in a situation like this uh, is to stand up and pronounce uh, what God's purpose was you know, for a particular catastrophe taking place. Uh, we know that God always has his purpose and that God works rightly. We also know that we live in a fallen world, uh, a world that is where the creation is groaning awaiting for the new creation when things will be perfect. But in that prayer, I could see that it was the prayer of someone who, even in a context of hurt and pain and sorrow, nevertheless ascribed the power to God, the power of the flood, the power to forgive, Indeed, the power to comfort. But we don't need a flood to show us God's power, for it is that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It is that same power that can forgive us and change us, so that we too might ascribe glory to him and give our lives over to serving him. So, therefore, what about you? Uh, do you marvel at the work of God that you see in nature? Do you marvel at his powerful work in raising Jesus from the dead? Does that thrill you, that God can do that, that he has done that? And have you trusted in Jesus in response? Have you experienced that blessing and peace that David says is ours? And if so then this psalm is for you, isn't it? Uh, you too can cry glory 
and worship him as king of our world and as king of your life. Ascribe greatness to the Lord. Worship him in the splendour of his holiness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are Lord of all creation, of heaven and of earth. Father, we thank you that uh, we are not left in darkness, that you have revealed yourself to us, that we're not left in confusion, just looking at the world around us and when we see destructive things happen to conclude that, that it's just meaningless and it's just chaotic. Uh, for we know that you are sovereign, that you are ruler, and that you have you, your good plans and purposes And Father, we thank you that we've seen the demonstration of your power so clearly in our Lord Jesus Christ, especially in his resurrection from the dead and the victory over death and Satan. And Father, we thank you that we see your power at work in our lives as we uh, seek to uh, learn from you and change to be more humble, more gracious, more forgiving, more loving, more the people that you would have us be, people who love the Lord with all our heart, soul and mind, and people who love our neighbour as ourselves. May we be those kind of people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.